If you would, turn in your Bibles to Hebrews chapter 2. Hebrews chapter 2. Praise the Lord. Verses 1 through 3, Hebrews chapter 2. It says, We must pay more careful attention, therefore, to what we have heard, so that we do not drift away. For if this message spoken by angels was binding, and every violation and disobedience received its just punishment, then how shall we escape? Think about that phrase. How shall or how will we escape? If we ignore, or some of your versions say neglect, so great a salvation. This salvation was first announced by the Lord. It was confirmed to us by those who heard Him. And God also testifies to it by signs, wonders, and various miracles, and gifts of the Holy Spirit distributed according to His will. Do you hear this? There is this great and awesome salvation that's been delivered to us And what the writer of Hebrews is saying is, um, it was first personally delivered by Jesus Christ to us. Literally, God came from heaven to personally deliver this message about this great salvation. And then it was confirmed, it says, by signs and wonders and various miracles And it was also confirmed by gifts of the Holy Spirit that are being poured out. And the gifts were distributed according to God's will. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, right now, help us, Lord, to not neglect or ignore the great salvation that you provided and delivered to us, Lord. Lord, I pray that you would bless this message, Lord, and you would, um, Lord, you would help us to be careful with what we're hearing today, Lord, and how we respond to it, Lord. Uh, bless this message. Let it be directly from you. Um, let me hide behind your cross, Lord God. Let not, no part of this message be me or my intellect or my bias or my personal opinions, Lord God, but let it be a message from you, Lord. In your name we pray, Lord Jesus, and everybody said, Amen. Hallelujah. Praise the Lord. So, it says we must pay careful, we must pay more careful attention to what we have heard. How many know that this is very important? That what we've heard in this Bible, we have to handle it with extreme careful cautious behavior, because if we don't, the implication from this verse is that we will neglect or we will ignore salvation. Now salvation here is a word in the Greek, it's uh, soteria. How many have ever heard of the Greek word soteria? 
If you go through any type of theological training, there's a section of study called soteriology. And what that means is the study of salvation. Soteriology is a study of salvation based on the Greek word soteria or soter, which means uh, literally, if you want a definition of what he's warning us not to neglect, he's warning us not to neglect the salvation, and the definition of it is we're in extreme danger. We're in extreme danger, and we have one way to escape. And one way only. And if we were to ignore or neglect that one way of escape, we have no hope. How many know that's true? He's saying that we should know about this salvation and be real careful how we handle it. Um, there was a man, I read a story, a man who um, was speaking. It was, a, it was a great minister, and he was speaking with a great a uh, physicist and um, a man who uh, was very intelligent um, about the universe and uh, very intelligent in the in the area of science. And uh, as they began to speak, uh, they began to talk about um, the minister, and he were talking about the Bible. Now I don't know if you've ever noticed, but some of the most intelligent people in the world know nothing about the Bible. In fact, uh, all you have to do, and this is a funny thing that I do a lot of times, you may have ever watched Jeopardy. You will get a section on there that has to do with the Bible, or Bible geography, or Bible history, or things, just general Sunday school questions. And you will think to yourself, man, this is the easiest thing they've ever had on Jeopardy. And I'm talking about easy questions. And they will literally snatch up every question on the board. They will get to that section and they'll be the dumbest people you've ever seen. And that's not always, but it's about 95% of the time. How many have noticed that on that show? It's amazing. And what this is saying is, and what we're going to get as we unroll this message out is, the most important thing you can study is this study of salvation. Like... Some people are just content to say, well, Jesus loves me, this I know, that's all I need to know. And yes, it's so simple, a fool need not make a mistake, but God wants you to have a firm foundation when it comes to your salvation. He wants you to know the Word of God, and He wants you to know everything about His salvation. And so this physicist was speaking with the preacher, and they got on the subject because ministers care about the souls of other people. And the first conversation was not about his deep knowledge of space or science. The first conversation was about God. And the physicist just simply said, um, I'm very simple about salvation. Jesus loves me. This I know, and that's all I need to know about God. And he stopped the conversation and spoke no further. And so the conversation went on, and he didn't want to be... um, um, He didn't want to um, press the issue and didn't want to make him uncomfortable, so they began to uh, talk about science. And he began to tell him everything about the stars and the planets and and all the information he had about science. And the guy looked at him for a response, and he said, Sir, twinkle, twinkle, little star. 
That's all I need to know about science. As you can imagine, the guy felt pretty cheated, right? He's like, wait a minute, you don't want to know anything more about science than twinkle, twinkle, little star? That's all I need to know. And that's how we treat salvation sometimes. We don't need to know any more because Jesus loves me. That's all I need to know. And I'm telling you today, there's a lot more depth on that subject of Jesus saving your soul. And it's the most important thing you can know. And it's the reason why we put so much time and energy in preaching the gospel. Because we want to know, want you to know the rock that you stand on. And we want it to be solid. We want it to be stable. We want it to be immovable in your life. And that's why so many people drift away from the Lord is because they don't understand God's will for my life. You say, well, wait a minute, how's that going to make me drift? Because something's going to happen in your life and you're going to be confused about the will of God in a believer's life and all you know is Jesus loves me, this I know. You never went any further. You're going to need to know about sin and failure and missing the mark and the atoning sacrifice and the things that God's provided for your soul. But all you know is, Jesus loves me, this I know. And you never went any deeper in your study of salvation. And God's saying He wants us to go deeper. He wants us to ask the questions. He wants us to get around the people that can teach us. He wants us to buy things that help us grow in our knowledge of our salvation. And his concern here is that they were going to drift. You see, he says, we must pay more careful attention, verse 1, therefore to what we have heard so that we will not drift away. This is a nautical term. I remember um, when I took a youth group uh, one year to Florida, and some of you in this room were on that trip, and, and I almost drowned. I can't swim. A lot of people know that. And we were in the ocean, and the water was churning, and a storm was coming in, and as long as I had sand under my feet, I always felt really good and was actually pretty brave in the water, way too brave, stupid. They're they're almost used as synonyms a lot of times, you know, blind courage. And uh, I was in the water, and at one moment, the entire section that I was in went out from under me because of the churning of the ocean. And uh, it just began to pull me out, and I barely spared my life. But one of the things I noticed when I was saved from drowning and came back to the bank was, not only did I lose my footing and be pulled out to the ocean, but I had went probably a quarter of a mile from where I started because of the drift. And so this is a nautical term. God doesn't want us to drift. He wants us to pay careful attention to our salvation. And what the term means is He wants us to be fixed on something solid. Something that we can anchor our soul to. Something that's not going to cause us to be shifting away from God. And so he wants us to know about our salvation, and he wants us to have cautious, careful attention constantly placed on where we stand in Christ, 
because He doesn't want us to drift away. How many believe that? Hallelujah. And He says, so you will escape. Now how many people, in fact the title of my sermon is, How Will We Escape? You know, it's the question that the writer of Hebrews is not asking is, do we need to escape? Or in case something happens, maybe we can escape? Or if something happens, you might need at some point to have an escape hatch? Like, you know, there's a lot of uh, things on our vehicles and on airplanes that will never be used. Because there's maybe never going to be an accident, right? Well, here's the thing. The thing we're talking about today will happen. We are all sinners and we are all sentenced to death. How many know that's true? We are all, the Bible says, for all have sinned and come short of the glory of God. And the Bible says that we are in danger of not entering heaven. And so the Lord did all the work. He laid the entire foundation before the foundations of the earth. And the plan was this. There's one person that is destined to go to heaven. Only one. And he is the Messiah. His name is Jesus Christ. And the Bible says we were predestined in Christ. You say, well, am I predestined without Christ? You're not. You're predestined in Christ because He is the chosen one. He is the only one that can make it to heaven. He's the only one that can get in the gates of heaven. He's the only one worthy to enter. And the Bible says, if we're in Him, if we're in Christ we will make it to heaven. And so the Bible wants us to examine this offer. He wants us to know this offer. He wants to know what it means to be in Christ. And He even tells us, examine yourselves to see if you be in Christ. And so, I don't know about you guys, but I, maybe it's certain wiring with certain people, or maybe it's everybody, but I always have an escape plan. Almost always. How many do that? If you're at a restaurant and you have an empty dining room full of chairs in a restaurant, I will always go to the one seat where I can watch everybody. And I know exactly what I'm going to do if somebody comes into that restaurant and causes a problem. I've already formulated, and you think I'm crazy, don't you? Am I the only one that does this? Always thinking of my escape plan. Always thinking about how can I escape in case. When I'm driving a car or truck, I'm always looking for my escape path. I'm always looking mirror to mirror to mirror trying to figure out if something happens, which way am I going to go to escape to get out of this accident? How many do that? Constantly thinking about what my escape Hatch is going to be, all right? And I don't know, maybe, like I said, maybe I'm just really mentally sick. I don't know. But 
In life, we know that one out of one people, that's a real statistic, one out of one people will be faced with eternity. One out of one people will need to escape, will have to escape death. And there's only one way that the Bible provides to escape death and eternal death, and that is through Jesus Christ. And the Bible says... How can we escape if we continue to ignore or continue to neglect so great a salvation? Now, I love the way he put that. So great a salvation. Well, what's so great about it? That's what somebody would say. What's so great about the salvation? Well, number one, it's the only way. In fact, it says in the first verse there, Hebrews 1.1, In the past, God spoke to our forefathers through the prophets at many times and in various ways, but in these last days, He has spoken to us by His Son, whom He appointed heir of all things, and through whom He made the universe. The Son is the radiance of God's glory. So literally, God began to speak through the prophets. He began to minister a way of salvation from the Garden of Eden until now. God has been speaking loudly to the human race. This is how you will be saved. This is my free offer of grace. Why is it so great? Because it's the only way. It says He speaks now through His Son And so we should be very attentive to the words that His Son says. In fact, look at some of the things that Jesus said about the salvation. He said, you must... How many know what the word must means? It means there's no other way. That means he's not going to open a back door in heaven and say, Hey, you're related to Pastor Chad. You're his son. You're his wife. You're his children. You know, he's not going to look at your children and do the same thing. He's not going to open a back door and say, We're just going to let you in the back door. Don't let anybody know. Because he's a righteous God. And so... When Jesus says, he says, I speak through my son, this is a a representative of heaven that's came to the earth, and that's greater than the prophets, it's greater than the Old Testament. This is somebody that came from heaven to earth to deliver a message that is binding. And he says, you must be born again if you want to enter the kingdom of heaven And that you are born again by believing in Him. You must be born again. Paul said it this way. You become a new creature and behold, all things are new. You say, well, Chad, I believed in Jesus Christ and I got water baptized. Well, how come nothing's new? And I'm just being straight with you because if we're talking about being serious about our salvation, be serious about your commitment to the Lord, because I'll tell you something, when I came to the Lord, everything became new. My friends weren't the same. 
You say, well, Chad, can I keep my friends? Can I still get drunk? Can I still party? Uh, Paul was pretty clear. A drunker will not inherit the kingdom of heaven. Paul was very clear. Perversions will not enter the kingdom of heaven. You say, well, wait a minute. I believed. Well, if you believed, all things would be new. I'm just telling you the truth here. You say, man, I don't want to hear it, man. I don't want to have this full salvation. I just want a half of one. There is no half one. You say, well, wait a minute. How am I going to get over the alcohol? How am I going to get over the perversions? How am I going to get over the lying? How am I going to get over the stealing? How am I going to get over that? Behold, all things have become new. And you say, am I still going to struggle in sin? Learn about salvation. Because this plan, you cannot fail. You say, what about my failures? If I am in Christ... God's plan includes my failures. What it doesn't include is me not being a part of the plan. What it doesn't include is the intent of my heart not to serve the Lord, but only serve Him in a statement or a water baptism, but not literally live it out in my life. And God's saying, behold, all things are new. Jesus said another one. I am the way, I am the truth, I am the life. No man can come to the Father except through me. So Jesus is speaking about this salvation everywhere He goes, everything that He says. He's telling us, don't neglect it, don't ignore it. There's one chance to escape, and it's the great salvation. And if you ignore it and you neglect it, there's no hope for us as human beings. Jesus said, I did not come into the world to call the righteous to repentance, but sinners. Man, I hope I'm a sinner. Because that's who He's calling to repent. You say, well, what if I'm a pretty good person already? He didn't come for you. He only came for sinners. You know, Paul goes through great lengths to make sure in his words that we are guilty and our mouths are shut before God. You know, the first step to accepting Jesus Christ as the Lord of your life is to recognize that you are a sinner who needs to change. You say, well, Chad, I've got my own way of doing things. I've got my own philosophy with life. I've got my own style that I live as a Christian. Can I tell you something? My style doesn't work. When I came to the Lord, I had to say to myself, Chad, you are 100% wrong. I was wrong yesterday. I'm wrong today. I'm wrong tomorrow. You say, well, why do you keep preaching your opinions? Because I'm not preaching my opinions. I'm preaching the Word of God. The Word of God shut my mouth and realized I am a wicked sinner. And Paul said, I'm the chief of all sinners. But you know what? I think I could give him a run for his money. Hallelujah. And so could you. And if we can't recognize that we're sinners and we can't recognize we need to change, there is no repentance for you. Because you've got to recognize you're a sinner. You've got to recognize that this mind has been darkened. You've got to recognize that there is a poverty in our spirit. And we need the Spirit of God to change us every day 
or we haven't received the gospel that the Bible talks about. My gospel won't work. My way won't work. My mind won't work. My ideas won't work. My philosophy won't work. My internet connections won't work. I don't care what kind of group chat you had on online. It's still not His way if it's not the Word of God. And so we've got to find out, and He says, be very careful how you handle salvation. Because if you don't, how will you escape? There's no way to escape unless... We find out what his. You say, well, wait a minute. Me and my friends have talked about it, and there's all kinds of all kinds of loopholes here. There's all kinds of different ways to do it and different ways to get into heaven. And and all I would tell you is, by what authority do you say that? Because if it's of authority of a man, if it's authority of a professor, if it's of the authority of a philosopher, if it's authority of your wise friends then how will we escape? How will we escape unless it's by the authority of the person who came from heaven and made the rules? I didn't make the rules. No man made the rules. God is God, and God said, here's how you can be saved, and if you neglect it or ignore it, how will you escape? Think about it, church. How will your kids escape? How will they escape? If they neglect so great a salvation. Oh my goodness, I went off my notes so badly. And <clears throat> praise the Lord, Paul. I say Paul. I'm going to have a controversy here. The writer of Hebrews. All right, I don't want to read into my biases here. Hebrews 10.26 says this. Same writer that uh, wrote 1 and 2, chapter 1, chapter 2. If we deliberately keep on sinning after we had received the knowledge of the truth, no sacrifice for sin is left. But a fearful expectation of judgment and of raging fire that will consume the enemies of God. Anyone who rejected the law of Moses died without mercy on the testimony of two or three witnesses. How much more severely do you think someone deserves to be punished who has trampled the Son of God under their feet, who has treated as an unholy thing the blood of His grace. For we know Him who said, It is mine to avenge. Who said that? God. But you know, wait a minute. I thought God was the great Santa Claus in the sky. I thought all He did was pat little kids on the head and give them Jolly Ranchers you got to be really careful because the Bible talks about the love of God, but the Bible also talks about the justice of God. And that's revealed in His wrath. And you say, well, that's Old Testament. Read Romans 1. It says the love of God is revealed, and then it immediately goes into its contrast. The wrath of God will be revealed against all ungodliness and all unrighteousness. What's the difference between the two? The first five um, commandments in the, in, the, in the Ten Commandments were ungodliness. That means that I don't hold God to high esteem and I'll do anything with God. It means I have other gods before Him. I take His name in vain. 
All these things are what's called ungodliness. I've done it against God. And that's ungodliness. And it says His wrath will be revealed against all ungodliness. And unrighteousness is the other half of the Ten Commandments. It represents all of those commandments that are against your fellow man. Those do not steal, do not commit adultery, do not... All these sins about fornication, all these sins that are against your fellow man, that's called unrighteousness. Why? Because I'm not right. I'm not right. And you say, man, that burns me up when you say that. It makes my blood boil when you say, I'm not right. And you know what? We live in a nation where everybody thinks they're right. And guess what? We're all together wrong. We're all together unrighteous. The Bible says we have all, like sheep, gone astray. We don't even know the way, church. And God's saying that in order to come to me and receive the way, you've got to have a relationship with Jesus Christ. You've got to hear the wise counsel of the Word of God. You've got to take your opinion and throw it down. But what we do is we trample the Son of God, it says, under our feet. We take the Word of God and say it means nothing. We take the Word of God and we twist it around, and then we exalt our opinion. Church, we've got to cast down every opinion. Everybody in this room is going to have a different opinion. I'll say ham sandwiches are the best, and you'll say bologna's got it. You know, Turkey's got it, man. Why, why not turkey? Peanut butter and jelly? Come on. What are you talking about? There's going to be a different opinion on everything in this church, but the Word of God says this is what's right. And it will always be right. The Bible says it'll be right yesterday, it'll be right today, and it'll be right forever. And so we don't, God doesn't line up with us. God doesn't say, I'm for Wellspring. I'm for you. I'm for this person. God says you can only line up with me. I don't line up with you. You line up with me. Hallelujah. Praise the Lord. Hallelujah. The great salvation. Another reason that it's great is because of the scope of the salvation. How many know what a scope is? You look through a scope and a gun, right? Am I making you nervous? Looking through my scope. And you can see, you can zero in exactly. And this salvation, the scope isn't narrow. It's not like I just see one person, this person. It's not a special group of people either. Bible says, for God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son so that whoever, the scope is everybody. The Bible says that he draws all men. If he, if he be lifted up, he will draw all men to him. The scope of this word from the very first man and woman in the garden where a burnt sacrifice was made for their sin to make them right with God and they were given the garments to cover themselves up with, God was preaching that message from the beginning that there will be a Messiah, Jesus Christ, that will cover your sins. And that salvation was preached from the very first. 
And the Bible says that in heaven from every tribe, every tongue, every nation, God will preach this gospel to every man, every woman, every child. You say that's impossible. It's not impossible. And the Bible says that this salvation is so great. The Bible says whoever believeth in him should not perish but have everlasting life. And then another place it says whoever will let him take in the water of life freely. You know what whoever means? This is a deep word study. It means whoever. Sometimes we're not plain enough about it. Whoever will. The scope of this thing is everybody. This means God has given a free gift to take freely everybody who will Come, I've been drawing you your entire life. I have proveniently poured my grace out from the time you were born. I've been calling your name your whole life. I blessed you when you shook your fist at me. I blessed you when you were angry at me. I blessed you when you, when you did things in spite of me. God says, I've been drawing you from the time you were born. I poured my blessings on the righteous and the unrighteous. I've given everything I had to know you. I gave my life and you're still treading me under your feet like garbage. I'm going to tell you what I really mean in here in a minute. All right. But he wants us to take his salvation serious. Not just say you're a Christian or I belong to the Christian faith. All right, this isn't a questionnaire where you write down your traditional historical family faith. This is where you say, I trust in Jesus Christ and my salvation means everything to me. It's so great because the scope, listen to Paul. Paul says, This is the faithful saying. I did it again, Hebrews 7 25. This is the faithful saying and worthy to be accepted by all. Jesus Christ came into the world to save sinners of whom I am the chief. Hear that all again? He came and all need to know that He came to save everybody. How shall we escape? Get off your high horse for a little while. And accept the gift that's been given to everybody and quit rejecting it, quit neglecting it, quit ignoring it, and accept that gift and and, and spend your lifetime understanding it, learning more about it. Hallelujah. John wrote, For the blood of Jesus Christ, God's Son, cleanses a man from all sin. Not just is it every man, but it's every sin. God will cleanse you. You say, well, Chad, I don't know. Some things I have victory over and some things I don't have victory over. The Bible says He imputes all of your sins. That means that He looks at you and He sees you cleansed and for a lifetime He's promised to impart righteousness which means I'm going to give you righteousness, which means victory is certain if you're in the plan. Because He imputes to make you perfect now, and He imparts for a lifetime if you're willing to be a part of this plan. You can't fail. Hallelujah. But many people neglect or reject or ignore the great 
salvation. Now, what are some of the reasons why people would reject or neglect or ignore the great salvation? I think one area could be pride. I can't tell you how many times I've talked to an alcoholic and was clearly told that they're not an alcoholic, that they can quit any time they want. I don't know how many people that are addicted to pornography that say they can quit any time they want. I don't know how many people were gossips and they said they can quit any time they want. I can't tell you how many people lie on a regular basis in their daily life that says they can quit any time they want. And here's the truth. We as human beings think of ourselves much more highly than we should. We get in church and sometimes that magnifies the pride. We say, well, look at me. I'm not like that sinner over there. I'm not like this person over there. Can I tell you something? I thought when I came to the Lord and I began to mature and grow in the Lord, I thought I would get less and less dependent on God. In my mind, I think I formulated that the closer I get to the Lord, the less sin I'm going to have. But here's what happened. You say, Chad, are you sinning more than when you came to the Lord? No, I'm actually sinning a lot less than when I came to the Lord. But here's what happened. I didn't realize how deep the sin was. God began to reveal to me my thoughts, my actions. God began to reveal to me, get this, and you're not, this is not going to shock anybody. I found out I was a real ugly duckling inside and outside. God began to reveal the poverty that I have and the inabilities I have and the weaknesses I have. And if you're reading the Word of God and you're not deepening your understanding of who you are as a sinner, then you won't be dependent on God. But here's what people do. They read the Word of God and they have this fallacy in their mind that I'm really good. I'm really wonderful. And they, re- they, they feel like they can do it without God. They feel like they can do it without His grace. They feel like they can stand on their own nobly because they're a good person. And the Bible says, Beware when you stand, lest you fall. This is the slipping away that Paul is or the writer of Hebrews is talking about. i got real problems with that. He doesn't want us to neglect so great a salvation because many Christians believe, I accepted the Lord, Jesus as the Lord of my life, and now I don't need Him anymore. And that salvation becomes diminished, that grace becomes non-existent, that... that, um, desire to lean on God to change us and transform us and to be a continual part of our life, we just start drifting away from it. How many have ever done that? Man, I got saved. I've been in this thing 25 years. Anybody knows what's going on, man. I know what's going on. I've been in 30 years, 40 years, 50 years. And we start drifting away from grace. We start drifting down the bank and we don't even realize it's non-perceptible when you drift. There's no perception that you're drifting. That boat sits in that harbor, not anchored properly, and it's going gonna, it's gonna to go all the way down the harbor. You know that? 
It's going to be driven all the way down the bank and it's not even going to be perceivable. And so here's what we do. We say, man, I sure needed God when I was 21. Man, I sure needed God when I was 21. Man, you don't know how bad I was when I was 21. But now, now I don't need God. We don't say it, but we sure think it. And God's saying, let me reveal a little bit more, let you know how much you need me. Let me know how much you need my grace. Let me know how more precious that salvation is today. You know, how much saving I still need to do in your life. How much I want to change you. Let let, let that salvation begin to grow again, that value that it has in your life. And, And so that's the question I think he's asking here. Some people neglect it or reject it or ignore it because they love to do evil. Did I lose power? Oh, everybody heard that. Nobody agreed with me. (laughs) Nobody wants to say that, right? But sometimes we love to do evil. And you say, well, is that a problem? Because he died for all my sins, thus I can do what I want. But here's the thing. We love to do evil, and so what we just did is put a value on salvation. Like, what's it worth to me? Jesus' words again. If your eye causes you to sin, he says you would actually be better to be blind than to go to hell with two good eyeballs. He's trying to tell us that the value of salvation is greater than anything that we own. There was a story several years ago about a guy who um, was in a a boat, had a... exploded and he was the only survivor out out at sea and and he had a piece of that boat that was floating and he was out to sea for like two weeks floating on that piece and they finally found him and rescued him and I just want you to think how valuable that piece of wreckage was what do you think he would have traded for that piece of wreckage hundred bucks Million dollars, gold, silver, success. It's just a piece of wreckage. But it's the only hope that he had to live. And if your salvation isn't that, would you trade an arm for it? Would you trade a eyeball for it? Would you trade, what would you trade for your salvation? And the answer to that question tells me how you'll live your life, because there's nothing I would trade for it. My own life, I wouldn't trade for it because I can lose my life. And Jesus said, don't fear those who can take your life. Fear the one who, when you die, can cast you into hell. So that's harsh. Jesus wouldn't say that. I'm quoting Jesus. Come on. I just quoted Jesus. You know, my Jesus wouldn't say that. Well, your Jesus isn't this one. Because he loves everybody. He's offering salvation to everybody but he's also very harsh about 
the value of this salvation that we can't ignore. I think another reason that people reject the salvation or ignore or neglect it is because of priority. How many think that it's not the highest priority? Now be honest with me. Quit thinking about your neighbor. In fact, close your eyes for one second. I don't want you to see your neighbor. What priority is my salvation right now? Just think about it for a second. Okay. But my neighbor's priority is not, it's not, I'm not talking about your neighbor. I'm talking about you. You say, well, it's a higher priority for my dad or my wife or my husband. Or, but is it your highest priority? Because if it's not your highest priority, salvation, there's a lot of things we argue about in church and, and in our house and in our communities and in our nation and on the Internet. And uh, some of you are like, quit talking about the Internet, man. Stay out of my world, Pastor. But there's a lot of things we argue about, but there's one thing that's important. How high of a priority is your salvation? Because that's the only thing we have right now to save us from damnation is our relationship with the Lord and that precious salvation. There was a group of uh, first graders. And um, this is how we are, kind of like them. Somebody came in and said, uh, man, you know, uh, we're going to go to Disney World today. We're going to take the whole class to Disney World. And boy, can you imagine you as a first grader? I know it's a long time for some of you, but just really picture this. How many would be excited? It's like, no school, Disney World? We're going to take a bus and we're all going to go to Disney World? You know, the home of that giant mouse? You know, and goofy dog? It was exciting until I started talking about it, right? All right. But they said, how many want to go right now? How many want to go right now? And, oh, I mean, they were jumping out of the chairs. You know, you could see them right now, can't you? Jumping out of the chairs, jumping up and down. Let's go, man. Let's load it up. And then they said, how many want to go to heaven? And they all raised their hand. Everybody wants to go to heaven, right? Everybody wants to go to heaven. Nobody wants to not go to heaven. And they said, how many want to go right now? Church, until our passion for being with the Lord, we're talking about a place with no death, no tears, no anxiety, no fear, no cares. Everything's provided by the Lord. We'll never have to want eternal happiness and joy and peace. I mean, the greatest time that we can even imagine is with the Lord. And until our passion gets so great that we're ready to go right now and we're jumping out of our chair like they were for Disney World. How many know there are problems in Disney World? You're going to run into problems. How many know heaven is far superior to the fun of Disney World and there aren't any problems? Forever I'll be with the Lord. And until your soul can leap about going to be with the Lord... Okay, I'm ready for death. I'm ready to go into eternity. I'm ready to be with the Lord. There's nothing in this world that overshadows being with the Lord. I want to live for Him with all of my life because, man, I'm ready. Let's go, Lord. Let's go now. I'm excited. 
Some of you are like, wait a minute, that's not right. Chad, I'm living in this world. All my dreams, all my hopes, all my plans are the world. And see, that's the problem. We're not willing to give our life for Him because we care more about the world. And Jesus is saying, get excited about eternity. Get excited about being with me. And here's one of the problems. And I'm going to close with this story. I've told this story probably a hundred times in my ministry. But I love this analogy. Sometimes the way that we receive salvation makes us not think it to be precious. And you say, well, how is that possible? I'm going to give you an analogy, and some of you have heard this from me before. But there were two men that got on a plane. All right? The first guy got on the plane, and they handed him a parachute. All right? That parachute is salvation. It's my example of what salvation is. Okay? How many were handed this message that I'm giving today that here, take this. The first question that this man has is, why do you want me to put this salvation on? Okay, and he says, well, when you put that on, you're going to have peace. How many think you'll have peace knowing, knowing that if something were to happen, I've got one of the parachutes, right? Joy. I mean, you're going to be so much more relaxed because you got the joy. I'm going to trip on this. How many think I'm going to trip on that? You've got the joy of knowing that I've got it on. How many think that'd be joyful? Man, I got it on. Nobody else does here. And there you are sitting in your seat with this big parachute on. Just being joyful and being peaceful and being all happy about it. And nobody else has it on, right? And so you're looking around and it's like, man, parachutes are all up and down the side of the plane here. Why am I the only one wearing it? You know, salvation is free to everybody. And not everybody puts it on, right? And so, yeah, I'm starting to question now. I'm happy, I'm joyful, I'm peaceful. Something may happen, it may not happen, I don't know. Right? And so, my joy is starting to be affected a little. My happiness is starting to be affected a little. My Peace is uh, being affected a little. Why is everybody else not wearing it? And then all of a sudden, while I'm contemplating my life with this parachute called salvation, a stewardess comes down the... And I don't make a very good stewardess, I know. But she comes down the aisle of the plane and she, she trips with some turbulence. And Man, the coffee just spills all over me. And I was peaceful. I was joyful. I was happy, but I was questioning it. And now I'm mad. This turbulence in my life right now is persecution, hard times, difficult circumstances. How many have ever been through the storms of life? Finally, this guy has had enough. So he pulls it off and he throws it down and he says, I'll never wear that again. And he's just not happy with it. He said, wow, what a terrible story. Let me tell you about the other guy. This guy walks onto the same plane, and a guy comes up and presents the gospel to him and says, Hey, wear this. He says, What is it? He says, This plane 
absolutely, definitely, without a doubt, in the middle of this flight at the highest altitude, the bottom is going to fall out. It's 100% sure. And church, it is going to happen. Trust me. The bottom is going to fall out. The Bible says we've all been appointed to die. Some will die and go to eternal torment. Some will go to eternal life. This is a definite thing. It's not a maybe thing like the first guy. The bottom is going to fall out, and if you don't have this on, you will not survive. You must have this on. You must have this on, or you will not survive. So man, he snatches that thing up so fast and puts it on. And boy, he's, he's just looking around and, and he's like, he's convinced that that bottom of that plane is going to fall out. So he looks around and you know what his mission is the rest of the flight? His mission is get everybody to wear one. Why in the world would you be such an idiot and not wear one? Why don't you have it on? And I'm going to try to convince you the entire time because the bottom's going to fall out unexpectedly. The Lord's going to return and I'm ready, but I want you all to be ready. And because he accepted it the right way, he had a mission to try to save others. And as he's sitting there, man, the joy is just beaming on him. The peace of God is all over him. He doesn't have to worry about death. He doesn't have to worry about all the things that everybody else is concerned about. The anxiety level's gone because I'm ready. And then, oh my goodness, here comes that stewardess. Same turbulence. Same hot cup of coffee. Same trip. Pow. The other guy had had enough. But do you know what this guy does? He said, man, I can't wait for this flight to be over. I can't wait until a little while when I'm off of the plane because everything will be perfect. I don't have to worry about this anymore. Do you see the change of mindset? Because he received salvation right. Church, I'm not preaching you today to tell you to be blessed and happy and peaceful and joyful and it will be a better life. I can't promise you that. In fact, everywhere that Paul said, he said, trials are going to come. Tribulations are going to come. Persecution's going to come. Life's not going to be riding on a cloud playing a harp. He said, you're going to have to go through some things. He said, but you're ready. You're ready to go to heaven. You've got salvation that's valuable. Never let it go. Never overlook it. Never ignore it. Because you must have it, church, in your sons and your daughters must have it. Your wives, your grandmas, your grandparents, your neighbors, they're lost. They have no hope. They're lost. Jesus said, I came to the world to seek and save the lost. And this is how He saves them. Salvation. And we need to know about it, church. Stand to your feet. Worship team. Twelve on the dot. I don't even time that. Hallelujah. Somebody want to shout? Praise the Lord. Hallelujah. Turn the lights down, Travis, if you don't mind. Hallelujah. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, this morning, 
Oh, Lord. Lord, everybody here today, 100%, will make a decision. Lord, I'm not asking them to make a decision, Lord. They will make a decision. Either accept or reject. Lord, there's no in-between. There's no, I'll make a decision later. There's no, put it off till later, Lord. The decision is made when you walk out the door. And Lord, I pray right now, Lord God, that you would begin to work on hearts, Lord. Oh, begin to draw by your Spirit, Lord. Oh, Father, let them know the value of this moment, the value of this Word, the value of your salvation. Oh, Lord, and I pray that you would begin to prepare hearts, Lord. Oh, I just want to ask you today. Just keep your eyes closed. I want to talk to you. I just want to ask you to think about your own salvation. The Bible says work out your own salvation with what? Fear and trembling. You say, well, man, that don't sound like the God that I know. Church, I'm trying to wipe out lies. I'm trying to wipe out strongholds. We've been told for too long that Jesus won't come in wrath. When the Bible says that He will. He says that the day of the Lord will finally come when His wrath will be poured out. And I'm trying to put you in a place where you're protected from the wrath of the Lamb. You say the same Lamb that died for me? The Lamb that died for you will one day come in wrath, church. You say, well, that's not what Joel Osteen told me. He told, told me he's like a good neighbor. I don't know if he's good or bad. I don't know. I'm not here to judge television preachers. But I'm telling you, the Bible says the Lamb will come in wrath on the day of the Lord. And it will be unexpectedly. It will be without notice. And the same Lamb that died to pull us to Himself and save us will come in judgment one day. Just read about it in the Bible, church. And I'm asking you today, don't wait for me to beg you to come up to this altar. If you're a believer, I want you to examine your faith this morning. If you're not a believer, you need to get right with God. If you say, Chad, I halfway did it. If you halfway did it, you didn't do it at all. I'm sorry to be so straight, but somebody has to tell you the truth. If you halfway did it, you didn't do it at all. So as we begin to worship, I want you to find a place up here. If you need prayer, say, man, my life is off the rails. I'm not serving the Lord. Find a place up there. We'll pray for you. If you're going through something difficult in your life, if you've questioned your salvation and, and doubted, you know, the goodness of God and doubted, you know, and, and we're like that guy that wants to throw it off. Maybe you accept it for the wrong reasons. Maybe you accepted it for the benefits but didn't realize salvation was to save your soul, and God will bless you. But that's not the reason we put it on. We put it on to be saved from damnation. How many know that? Hallelujah. I'm going to open this altar up. If you feel led of the Lord, don't hold back on those feelings. We're going to pray for you this morning.
going to continue to pray up here. If you need prayer, you say, well, I'm a, I'm a very private person. I'm not comfortable uh, coming at this altar. I, I understand that. I want to pray with you still, though. So if you want to find me after the service, I would love to pray with you. If I could have some women up here to pray with uh, Heather. Some women that you can pray with. Jaren, pray for Heather. Thank you. I just want I'm going to close in a word of prayer. But if you need prayer, please don't leave the church without prayer. And if you need to, man, i got to get some things off my chest. There's some things I'm going through and I need to talk about. Church, we're here to minister to you. We're here to pray with you. That's what what we assemble for on Sundays is to minister to one another. To confess with one another. How many know confession is important? Loving one another, praying for one another. All these things are things that we do on Sundays. And so, man, I need to really confess some things. And I really need to find forgiveness. This is where we do it at this altar. You know, this altar, uh, I don't want this altar to have the best-looking carpet here, you know. It should be worn out. You know, if we take salvation serious, this altar should be worn out. Hallelujah. If you don't get a chance to be in the presence of the Lord this morning, we need to find a place to pray, okay, before you leave. Heavenly Father, right now, Lord God, I just pray. Lord, I just pray for every person that's in here, Lord God. Lord, that they would not neglect or ignore your salvation. Lord, let us live in the hour, Lord God, where you said at any moment you could return. Lord, we want to be ready. We want to be excited. We want to be thrilled at your return. We don't want to be ashamed at your return. We don't want to be afraid at your return. Oh, we don't want to hide when you return, Lord God. We want to be ready and excited and thrilled. Lord, we want to be living for you with all of our heart, Lord. So bless, Lord God, each person, Lord God. Oh, that they would carefully carefully examine themselves and make sure that they're in you, Lord. Bless them as they go, Lord God. Fill them with your Holy Spirit. Bless their week, Lord. In Jesus' name we pray. And everybody said...